Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. How stoked are you to be here right now on this, the hottest day in living record? Pretty thrilled. <laughs> Wait. What? Okay, it's cold. I had put an entire tray of ice cubes in this, uh-huh. and then I grabbed it, and it's there were melted. no ice cubes in it, and it had just melted. Because I was going to do a sound effect of... You don't hear ice cubes clinking right now, do you? No. No. I hear nothing. Listeners, that is an indication <laughs> of how hot it is in our house. Your ice cubes instantly melted. All right. Well, let's do this thing. And welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikich. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And remember, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies, because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. Rejoining us today is Ryan Sikich. It's me. Basic. I'm stoked to have you back. You're here. Oh, you said be sick. I thought you said basic. Oh. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I suppose that's a compliment of sorts. I am so basic, basic in some ways. I do love me a good brunch. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that you also love yourself a good pumpkin spice latte? No, no. that I do not love. Oh, okay. Do you like a good scarf? No. Do you love a good autumnal themed room? <laughs> do you? <laughs> I do. I there are I do have my moments of basicness for sure. Like fall comes around and I'm nesting, you know? Like I want to pull oh, off the sweater. Sounds very yeah. interesting to me. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more about said nesting. <laughs> I just like, I want to get cozy, you know, unfortunately, as we've all been living, those of us who live in Southern California, uh, September often brings with it a heat dome of sorts, this year's particular heat dome being worse than others. And so it's not super convenient that I like want to get all autumnal and wear sweaters in October or in September because it doesn't even get chilly here until we do not have a season no it's there's, just like, there's no such thing as a cold it's like season we're here. hot and fiery until it's rainy and mudslidey there's like nothing in between you know it's just like one or the other so um lesson learned i don't know what the lesson is to the lesson is to not live in a place that doesn't have air conditioning that's actually the lesson i've learned all that aside <laughs> Do you want to do a podcast with me? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I've just taken a shower to refresh my body. Oh, I'm saving my shower for afterwards. I mean, I have already showered just today. Take two showers. But it's one of those days. This is like a four shower day. Um, but I was saving my shower as a reward for after this is over because I know I'm going to sweat. But it's fine. It's fine. We'll be fine. No one worry. I'm just really sad that I don't have a beverage to crack open. Oh, yeah. Why aren't you drinking? Wait, is there alcohol in there? Absolutely. Okay, great. Today's Uh flavor is a, it's a watermelon with a little bit of fresh squeezed orange juice. That doesn't sound good, actually. You know, it's it's actually delicious with some uh, Casamigos Blanco tequila. Ooh, wow. Getting spicy. There's no spice in here. And I have a glass of wine. I never drink. And I am having a glass of wine. It shows so. you what kind of day it was. <laughs> it does. 
Well, um, I was going to ask what you've been up to recently, but... <laughs> I've just been hot. I've been here. I've been hot. <laughs> also, you took a break from our boy, right? From our boy's journey. <laughs> I did. I did. I feel like... I uh, I need to get uh, reacquainted I was just about with to our say, journeyman, I, our my, wanderer. My script says that, uh, that my next phrase is, uh, you've been properly filled in on the deets of his current situation, but I totally... <laughs> you have told me nothing. In, in theory, I have heard what he's done. Uh, is that information uh, still within my cranium? It is not. Okay, so, so we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to fill you in, and then we'll come back. Oh, oh do the listeners not want these cliff notes either? The, Are, the listeners have been filled. Dude. Oh, they know. The listeners were with us. They got real serious. Oh. Like, some serious stuff went down. So. Well, today <laughs> will be a bit of a change of pace. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the thing you need to know was that last week we talked about... You've been properly caught up. Question. Yes. Uh, there is no chance that perhaps I am prefacing a, a special guest. There's no way that people are, that I'm a stepping stone. No, no, no. Okay, good. Because that's going to be a Right. No, I know. That's why I said special guest. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, cats out of the bag. We're going to have a special guest this season. Special guest, and it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's uh, do this. Brian. Leader nerd. Remember, we have just started the second half of the cycle. So last week's episode was the first song of part two, meaning that today we begin with the second song of part two. Song number 14, Der Greise Kopf. Before we get to the text, I just want to mention something of note, however. There is a definitive darkening of the mood here. You know, we've seen him in some not-so-cheerful states before, right? I mean, he hasn't exactly been partying. But these moments of darkness were often interspersed with some lighter moments of recollection or dream. Some points of true beauty. After this point in the cycle... We don't really get a reprieve from the darkness. Even those songs that are in major keys, well, they're not happy moments. Not at all. Poor little guy. Yeah. <laughs> and yet here we are. People love it. People love this stuff. By people, you mean me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With that said, let's turn to our very first text of the day, which, by the way, Reads like a mini horror vignette, if that's a thing. <laughs> Der Greise Kopf. The gray head. The frost has a white shine spread over my hair. Then I believed myself to be a gray-haired man. And I rejoiced. But soon it thawed. I have again black hair. I shudder at my youth. How far still to the grave. From evening red to morning light, have many a head turned gray. And yet, who would believe mine has not on this entire journey? Yowzas. Right? I'm like, oh. <laughs> We're actually going to do things a little backwards today. We are going to listen to the song first. Ooh. Mm -hmm. And then we will talk about it. Here to sing Der Greise Kopf for us today is Dr. Tyler Reese. Oh. 
mich sehr gefreut. Doch bald ist er hinweggetaut, hab wieder schwarze Haare, das mir's vor meiner Jugend graut. Wie weit noch bis zur Bahre? Wie weit noch bis zur Bahre? Vom Abendrot zum Morgenlicht ward mancher Kopf zum Greise. Wer glaubt und meine Wart es nicht auf dieser ganzen Reise, auf dieser ganzen Reise. just this short excerpt from Retracing a Winter's Journey, Schubert's Winterreise, by thee, Susan Ewens. The wanderer has slept out in the open, and frost has formed on his hair during the night. When he awakens, he believes for a moment that his hair has turned white overnight, and therefore he rejoices in his proximity to death. This is the only time in the entire cycle that Müller uses the verb sich freuen, even modifying it with the adverb sehr, to indicate great rejoicing. The frost soon melts, however. The wanderer's hair is black once again, and he shudders in horror. Surely his travails deserve, he implies, the reward of age and imminent death granted to other, more fortunate sufferers. The reversal of the more usual human condition, the wanderer grieves over youth and life, rejoices in the illusion of age and the approach of death, permeates the entire poem. This is interesting, right? As you heard, this is one of the most dramatic and darkest moments of the entire cycle. But it is also the point where he rejoices the most. He momentarily believes himself to be close to death, and he is fucking stoked. <laughs> it's almost over. If that wasn't dark enough, when he realizes he's been tricked, that he is not an old man, well, we descend to an emotional low point, but <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> it gets worse for him. Surprise. <laughs> I mean, probably not a surprise by now, right? It's, I honestly feel so exhausted for him on his behalf. I feel like there's probably a phrase for this, but he's been through so much that would normally maybe take up a full lifetime. And he's just emotionally like, like he's done. He's tapped out. He's like, I've lived a full life. And then when he realizes that he's like, no, I still have my full life to live that I mean, I, I can empathize with, like, how just um, exhausting and demoralizing that must feel. And I think it's definitely the um, the plight of the deep thinker, right? Mm. Because he's thinking so deeply about everything. It would almost be easier for him if he was, like, I don't know, dumb. 
<laughs> yeah, just floating through life and not not mm-hmm. but grounded right it's, at all. It's definitely intrinsic to his nature. The fact that he would think so deeply about everything, even the fact that he wakes up has this frost on his head, thinks his hair is gray for a moment. He can't just shake it off. Instead, he dwells. He continues ruminating on it like, if only, if Mm -hmm. only I was closer to the grave, if only I was an old man. And he can't not dwell deeply in the thoughts. I like what John Reed says. He says, the song serves as an emotional signpost pointing towards the inevitable end. Nowhere in this cycle is the expressive power of music more concentrated. Mm. Right? It's the first time that we're hearing, oh, he actually does want to die. Yeah. Yeah. He feels it. He does not want to be here Mm -hmm. any longer. Nope. We're going to go through some musical and text things simultaneously here. Schubert set this song and the next, which we are also covering today, in the same key as Gute Nacht, the first song of the cycle. So after the brief glimpse of hope, or at least the witnessing of happy things happening for other people in Die Post, our last song, we are again, with this song in this key, brought into the bleakness of the drama that the cycle originally started with. In a way, I think it replants his feet and perhaps his heart on the ground, on the path that we now understand he hopes leads to death. I think if the tree were to beckon to him now, I think he might willingly succumb to its enticements. I don't think there'd be any hurrying away. Right. He's ready. I think he's, so. He's, he's at the, it's not just the low, but it is like, it feels like a very... Uh, final low. Okay, so um, I just because of how I know the cycle, it's not the final low. There's more to sure. come, which makes it, it that like much it more devastating. Because, because then it gets crazy. Yeah. Like so, you know how how do you how do you get something look, even more low than that? This reminds me of when I'm mountain biking and I'm like <laughs> I'm climbing Looking for the right next corner, and I know <laughs> shoot. I have 3,000 feet to go, right? And yeah. I am only 200 feet in. And if you think about it too much, you're just going to turn around. You're just going to stop. You're just going to give up. Here he has no option. And I think the fact that he's thinking of everything that he knows must come between now and then, that's absolutely devastating. Yeah. That, that's the thing that it reminds me the most of when I'm climbing on my bike and I've already been on there for quite some time and then I realize, oh shoot, I'm just a quarter of the way done. I haven't even gotten halfway there. Based though on like how this song feels, it's almost a shock that there are more songs to come. The fact that you feel that it's final, I don't, I don't think that's um, a mistake. Uh, but then that, the fact of knowing... <laughs> This is only the second song of part two. I think it adds even more like scale to it. Maybe it does for sure. And it definitely feels like when you're performing this, if it, something feels different when you get to this point, there is a, there is definitely a shift in the energy of the room and on stage. The song opens with a four bar phrase that sets up the journey. This story takes. So as the phrase opens up, it rises to its high point and then descends back down from whence it came. It could be a foreshadowing at the hope and the rejoicing he momentarily experiences at that high point before realizing, oh, wait, I'm not even close to the end of my life, setting him back down in the dismal reality of the present. It really just feels like you can feel him kind of um, almost inflating a bit. summiting a little. Yeah. And then, oh, and then he deflates. Uh The voice comes in and basically repeats the same exact thing, but for an extra ornament that provides the sound of a shudder or a shiver, whether from cold or horror, we know not. Der Reif hat einen weißen Schein mir rüber. 
Liebeshaar gestreut. Is that like a little triplet thing or like a little, what, what, what is that? It's just like a little mordant kind of thing. It's like a little squiggle above. A little above. Ziggle, yeah. little, <laughs> little zigzag. Yeah. I, I call them, um, what do I call them with my students? Give me a second. This Zippity, is why one should not zaps? drink. This is why one should not drink. <laughs> podcasting oh you finished Squ- that glass i do of wine. i call them squiggles, squiggles. squiggles. Like, little squiggle a that little is squiggle. not the technical term you know <laughs> you call it squiggle all day long it's relatable it makes sense right yeah yep so that was that little squiggle you heard and it does it sounds like a shudder or a shiver right yeah. and from whether it's from cold or horror you just don't know i think it could be both now something you may be wondering is how does he see that his hair is white is this some sort of wilderness mirror? What if he just has long hair? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just inhaled my spit. Uh. <laughs> I like to think that he sees his reflection perhaps in some water. Or maybe his hair has gotten kind of long so that he can see it hanging down in front of his eyes. Sure. Or perhaps some aristocratic lady dropped her mirror out a coach window and he happened upon it. That's extravagant. That's my favorite version. I love it. You stick with that <laughs> but one. But it could happen, you know. You're kind of like on the road. Something could have fallen out of a coach or off like from the luggage. It could have been a mirror. I it's poli- all broken. Were polished mirrors a thing back in the day? Oh, yeah. For sure there were mirrors. 100% there were mirrors. Look it up on the Google. Also, I don't know. I have in my mind if I was going to make an, like a movie of Vinterreise, I would this definitely would be how he yeah. have him find a broken mirror and I would have him like picking it and up. And then he suddenly realizes witnessing. the horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. That does make sense. It does. Instead of just waking up and like looking at your long hair and being like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> like that's less <laughs> I think dramatic. There's less build. I think it's possible, but I just really like the shattered mirror version that I have in my head. <laughs> or he goes to the barber and the barber says. No, nope, because remember he's moving like he's he's trying to get away from civilization. He's not oh, right. seeking people out. I think if he went a to the traveling barber, wilderness barber. <laughs> <laughs> but there we I go. think if there was a wilderness barber, I'm pretty sure there'd be a song about it. And since there's not, okay, 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 <laughs> my theory's bunked. Yeah, your version's cooler. <laughs> For sure. As he comes to the realization that his hair is not actually white, we might be reminded that the last time he was tricked was in Die Wetterfahne. Remember song number two, all mm. the way back there? His girl tricked him into believing she was faithful. Now, nature plays a trick on him and leads him to believe he is close to the grave. The first trick he was mad about. He was mad at her for not being faithful, right? But his response to this trick, however, is one of desperation. He asks, how long is it to the grave? He's completely resigned. He's like, oh, yeah. You just show me that coffin. He's ready. After what we learned in the last episode, and if any of you are joining us for the first time in this episode, you might want to go back and listen to the last episode where we discussed syphilis and how it may have affected the young composer. Um, We also discussed the song Die Post. So after what we learned in that episode, I think... This question might have been an interesting one for Schubert. Truly, how long did he have until his grave? Sadly, Schubert didn't have long to wait. The way he set this is so effective. The piano and voice are in unison. Tonally, it's ambiguous. A perfect setting for a question whose answer eludes us. As it descends lower and lower... You can hear him wishing to be lowered into the earth. Wie weit noch bis zur Bahre? Wie weit noch bis zur Bahre? Going down. He is. He wants, he just wants to be down there. He wants to be in the dirt. The wanderer notes that others have turned to gray. 
How can it possibly be that after all he has gone through, his hair has not? I love this moment in the cycle because he mentions the name. <laughs> that always kind of makes me giggle. It reminds me of when you're watching a movie and they say the they name. They say the, na- the title of the name the movie, in it? In the movie. Isn't that a Family Guy shtick? Where they, uh, they yes. say the name of the movie? Yes, yeah, yeah. but it's a thing. Actually, there's a whole list on Google, if you look it up. There's a whole list of the movies that say movies the name. That do it. But yeah. my favorite one is um, actually Zephram Cochran in First Contact when he says, you all are astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. <laughs> Every time he says that, I'm like, and You're like, hey! <laughs> there can't be a moment where you like don't point at the TV and you're like, ah, <laughs> totally. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I a moment. It. What so, a moment. So our boy, he doesn't say Vinterreise, but he does say Reise. So let me play that phrase for you. Wer glaubt und meine Fahrt es nicht auf dieser ganzen Reise Auf diese ganzen Reise. Did you hear it? He said it. <laughs> he did. He did. I think he means journey with a capital J, which is a joke that doesn't translate well because in German nouns are capitalized, so of course it's a Reise with a capital R, but you know what I mean. <laughs> He means that he's been through some stuff. And I don't honestly think it's the physical journey that tires him. Of course, mm. we've heard physical manifestations. We've heard his feet shuffling. We heard, we've heard him barely being able to keep his eyes open. But I honestly think that it's the emotional and philosophical journey. He's truly exhausted from his musings. But... He now realizes he can't bypass what's ahead. He's left with no option but to continue plodding on. It's interesting, too, because he, he notes that others have turned gray, but he's the only one that's not. Yes, and but that's been a he's theme. He's so isolated throughout. Right? So in the last song, other people were getting their mail, but there was no mail for him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I feel like though that that like double that compounds on on like you said the this journey that's emotional philosophical he's exhausted he's alone like all of that just must make him feel so old the amount that the heart can take that's a lifetime truly, that's truly. a lifetime of burden that a heart right. should have right. and he's still young and he's like wait what how much more could my heart actually take yeah. my heart my mind my body my soul like all of it he's alone in it so also, one thing I, I had ran across, I think because Ian Bostrich uh, mentioned it, is the phenomenon um, of hair turning white overnight. Mm. Uh, it's been called Marie Antoinette syndrome, I think. Um, <clears throat> I didn't write any of this down, so don't quote me exactly on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, like, I intend to tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> there's like accounts throughout, you know, m- myth, myth, myth. Mythol- mythologize what's what's that what's a word do you know what mystified? i'm saying no no anyway <laughs> there's these stories where people had such a frightening thing happen to them that their hair turned mm, white overnight sure which is actually not a phenomenon that can actually happen but what so scientifically happen, not possible cor- correct but what can happen is if you go through a period of extreme stress and this happened to a guy who was on the titanic um if you go through an extremely stressful situation what can happen is it can interfere with uh the cells hang on with the hair follicles that produce pigmented hair mm. and you can lose all of those so then what happens is you lose only the pigmented hair so over time as your hair falls out you're left with only the white right ones. over time so so whatever a hair cycle would be for you to grow out your hair because hair is already dead right, right those right. cells are dead it's not nothing's gonna happen to it unless you use a chemical so it still process could happen quickly Right. So abnormally quickly, I but not think, like overnight. If I remember correctly, I think in the Ian Bosridge book, the picture of the guy who was on the Titanic, like the picture is six months apart. And before mm, he sure. the ship sank, his hair was brown or whatever. And then and then six months later, 
you see a picture of him and his hair is completely white. That's wild. Yeah. Um, back to Dear Greisekopf. <laughs> okay, yeah. Do you feel like you want to listen to the song again or do you feel like you've gotten the gist of it? I feel like I've got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That excites me greatly because I am so excited to talk <laughs> about the next song. <laughs> do you know why I'm so excited? I don't. Do you want to know I why I'm so excited? I would love to know. <laughs> because it's song number 15. Decreia. Do you know what a crea is? I don't, but I, I feel like you're about to tell me. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited. Oh my god, I know what it is. This is the point. I know what it is. Where I announce I actually have not just one Vinteriza related tattoo, but I have two Vinteriza related tattoos. It's out tattoos. of control, people, and it's amazing. The first of them is inspired by this song. Can you describe my tattoo for the listeners? Well, it's black, as many tattoos are, black ink. Uh, there are a multitude, a plethora, if you will, of feathers. There are two talons. There is a beak. <laughs> there is a, a domed head. <laughs> Folks, right. we're, we're looking at a crow. You are looking at a crow. So, what? typically comes to mind when you think of a crow intelligent mm. uh scavenger mm. uh recently uh, crow is one of our our young floofs new obsessions he loves watching crows Correct. on youtube in the front yard thor does um, love watching crows i said uh, what, what did i say forager gat like scavenger scavenger right? they're yeah they're they're definitely like always looking for things mm -hmm. perhaps you perceive of it as a creepy blackbird? Um, no. Maybe at one point in time. Now, I love crows now, to be fair. And maybe right. that's just my affiliation, affiliation with you. With I me, remember but. one time, and I actually have a picture of this. We should link it in the notes. Do I have the picture of it? I don't know. I was in the Trader Joe's off of Milpas, mm -hmm. uh, and it was back when we lived off uh, Ortega Street. And there was one time where I was coming out, and like the sun was setting, and there were all these like orange and purpley and it was like this just exquisite sunset with all the clouds and all of a sudden a thousand crows just started swarming overhead all cawing and what and uh, and people were like legitimately freaking out and i was like the only person in the parking lot with like my hands in the air like yes behold <laughs> the power of the crow like i was so stoked on it no one else uh was quite oh on my, my god level. that cracks me up so so anyway I, yes a lot of people can see it as being a little uh dark mysterious mm -hmm. whatnot but um, i think in the modern era that is largely in due to the hitchcock film the birds right um often people think of crows as those birds that make a lot of noise perhaps they think of them as a harbinger of death or some other ominous event okay sure you know actually what i used to always think of was the edgar allen poem the raven and omg okay i just remembered when i was growing up okay okay nerd alert <laughs> <laughs> yeah when like was... anyone needed that okay <laughs> i know right when I was growing up, oh my God, the listeners are going to love this so much. I was homeschooled, right? So we would have these things called literary nights. And I don't know, it was from Little House on the Prairie. Have I told you this story? I have not okay, heard this so yet. But I'm sure I'm going to identify with it in a strong way because <laughs> listeners, I too, shockingly enough, was homeschooled. Right. So we're both homeschool nerds. So anyway, these literary <laughs> nights were, I think they were inspired by Little House on the Prairie or something like that. How quaint. So yes, all the homeschoolers would gather together in my house and we had this epic living room with a staircase in it and the kids would memorize poems and recite them like on the middle landing of the staircase and they would recite them to to all the peasants seated below on the bottom floor of the living room and uh i of course being myself was always a so extra. So there was this one time where I didn't just memorize a poem. I memorized the entirety of Dr. Zeus's How the Grin Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> and actually, I think there was another time where I memorized all of the Lorax. I'm the Lorax. I speak for the trees. I speak for the trees, for the trees of no tongues. <laughs> um, so anyway, there was this one time where... I put on a black ball gown. Oh, my God. I'm not even kidding. And I put on black elbow length. Sleeves. Silk oh no, gloves. 
I feel like I have pictures of you. I wish I was kidding. I wish I was kidding. So in this getup, I, Amandi Madrid, recited The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe very dramatically (laughs) to all the innocent, unsuspecting young homeschoolers who simply came to listen to nice poems and have cupcakes. They they weren't prepared. (laughs) They weren't prepared for what was about to come. I remember like putting on this like heavy black eyeliner and I wore like a choker necklace with my black ball gown. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, as you've probably learned by this point in the podcast, I often turn to various mythologies when investigating possible hidden meanings behind the text. And in my zest to do exactly that for not only this episode, but also for a previous leader school lecture. Uh, I found that crows and ravens seem to be referred to interchangeably because I can't let something like this go unexplored. Listener, (laughs) just warning, disclaimer, prepare yourself for a knowledge dump. (laughs) I'm like not even looking at the notes on the rest of this page, but just just prepare yourselves. Get out a pen, maybe a pad of paper or or, you know, just go to Wikipedia. Because it'll, it'll all be basically... Actually, not all of this is on Wikipedia. No, I know. This is going to be even more involved <laughs> and in-depth. This is great stuff. Oh, my God. Buckle up. Okay, well, I, Buckle up. I just had to get to the bottom of, like, what is the difference between crows and ravens? Of what course. the heck is going on? So that is why we are now here. So hold on to your hats, kids. I promise there is a Schubert song at the end of this very dark, very feather-filled tunnel. Belonging to the same genus Corvus... The crow and the raven are often confused for the other. What exactly are the differences between crows and ravens? Well, that's much more difficult to answer than you might think because the list of birds belonging to the corvid family is quite extensive. There's the carrion crow, hooded crow, common raven, house crow, new caledonian crow, pied crow, little raven, australian raven, fish crow, teresian crow, cape crow, <gasps> thick-billed raven, forest raven, chihuahuan raven, hawaiian crow, collared crow, fan-tailed raven, piping crow, cuban crow, american crow, long-billed crow, I have to swallow, oh my god, jamaican crow, mariana crow, new zealand raven, western jackdaw, rook, Large-billed crow, white-billed crow, white-necked raven, palm crow, flores crow, eastern jungle crow, Bismarck crow, high-billed crow, bougainvillea crow. (laughs) You get the idea. Lots of crow. The list goes on and on and on. (laughs) Look, shocking though this may be, I am not actually an ornithologist, so... I'm going to give you a very rudimentary and horribly inadequate summary of what I've learned thus far in my obsession with crows. Okay, so um, the story that you gave of the whole homeschool and delivering yeah. like the crow poem, all of that gave context to your delivery of that, of <laughs> all the different crows right now. And even the way you said rudimentary, like everyone gets it now. Like it all makes sense. It's all locking in. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Anatomically speaking, crows. Look, I could try to be different, but it's just too hard. So no, no, here no. we are. Le- lean into it. <laughs> Anatomically speaking, crows tend to have rounded tails, broad feather fingers, slim, straight beaks, and they are smaller than ravens. Their voices are higher in pitch, and they make a <laughs> sound. <laughs> I saw on the script play zero zero and then zero zero. And I was like, like, no, I can do this. I was like, wait a second. Okay, 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 okay. No, I will actually play you um, a recording of a crow. This is, I believe, an American crow. Sounds about right. Oh, puppy thinks that's very interesting. Ravens typically have a diamond shaped tail. Long, thin feather fingers, bigger, curvier beaks. Their feathers are shinier, and they are typically bigger than crows. Ravens have deeper voices, and they make a croaking noise, which I actually can't replicate. So let me play that for you. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) A little more guttural. It is a little more guttural. I like the uh, flapping wings in there, too, for effect. So crows caw, ravens croak. Also... I have to admit that I have this book called Bird Brains and it has all these cool pictures of it. And I just have to show you this one because he's so cute. 
Wait, this isn't your only crow book. Uh, this might be my only crow picture book. Oh. Okay. Look at this raven. Aw. Isn't he so cute and fluffy? I mean, he's a big boy. Look at that beak. Right? That, and that's one of the ways that you can tell the differences between ravens and Just crows. Just the size of the beak? Uh, well, often the, the ravens have bigger beaks, and they are shaped a little bit differently. That's a raven. Actually... Sometimes I like to um, test myself, so I'll just like look up random pictures, and I'll be like, mm, "I think that's a crow," and then I'll look at the caption and see if I'm right. And I <laughs> usually am. <laughs> uh, so, oh, see, so this is this is a crow, but yeah. that's a special kind of crow because you white with the white. Yeah, but yeah. do you see how he's just like a little bit smaller? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's my favorite book, which I actually found in a resale shop. I just stumbled into it, and I was like. Uh, thank you, universe. Who would ever pass such a thing along? I don't know. Both crows and ravens are omnivorous scavengers, though crows are more likely to scavenge food off of humans as they tend to live in closer proximity to civilization, and ravens are more likely to hunt for small animals because they live in more remote and unpopulated regions. Both rows and cravens. Cravens? What's a craven? <laughs> What's a row? <laughs> I think you just invented a new oh, breed. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Both crows and ravens are fantastic problem solvers to an almost terrifying degree. Uh, there's a quote by Henry Ward Beecher that says that if men had wings and bore black feathers... Few of them would be clever enough to be crows. <laughs> That's a great quote. Right? These clever kids are known to invent and use tools in their problem solving. They have been witnessed stripping sticks of bark and shaping them into hooks in order to probe for food in small places. And they understand water displacement. So they will actually fill water containers with rocks in order to raise the water level to make it more accessible. They are known to plot or pre-plan tasks. And now, this is nuts. They are able to recognize and memorize human faces and have somehow figured out how to communicate that information with each other. So there's been studies in which humans have gone and tagged crows. And then when humans go back to re-tag more crows or to check in on the crows, the entire flock will come at the people because the, it's been communicated to them that these people are not to be trusted. Isn't That's that crazy? wild. That's nuts. That's so nuts. So, just remember, kids, the next time someone calls you a bird brain, you better ask what kind, because they may just be paying you a compliment. Wait, is bird brain an insult? Oh, for sure. Have you never heard that? No. You bird brain. I have never, well, I've never experienced that. You were homeschooled. So. Wait, wait. <laughs> that's even more of an insult than calling me bird-brained. <laughs> no. Finally, what I think is the coolest fact of all. Crows and ravens participate in stunt flying in order to attract a mate. <laughs> We're talking barrel rolls, somersaults, upside down flying. All I'm saying, Brian, if you ever need to reignite the romantic flame of our love. <laughs> I'll just go do a barrel roll <laughs> in the front, front yard right now. some stun flying. <laughs> some somersaults. I actually can do a somersault, cannot do a cartwheel. These things are true. Uh, neither of which I would consider a stunt. So uh, you got to step up your game. <laughs> <laughs> Mythologically speaking, crows and ravens fill many various roles. Contrary to what you might expect, not all mythologies portray crows as ominous creatures of darkness. In many of the more ancient mythologies, they often play a role in creation stories. In some, a crow is sent to find the first dry land for humans to step foot on. In others, the crow brought light from the gods to humankind. In various Native American mythologies, they are shapeshifters, able to dwell in both the physical and the spiritual world the spiritual realms simultaneously. They are keepers of the law, oracles of divination or wisdom, and are symbolic of rebirth and change. In other mythologies, however, these birds suffer a worse reputation. In Norse mythology, two ravens serve as Odin's spies in the land of men. In Swedish tales, they were the angry ghosts of murder victims. That's <laughs> intense. <Yikes. laughs> In Denmark, they were thought to be exorcised spirits. 
Sheepers. Macaroni. Other recent mythologies believe these birds to be shape-shifting witches or sorcerers who are trying to evade capture. Because of their propensity to easily adapt and adjust to problems, crows and ravens are often portrayed as skilled tricksters. Most importantly for us, however, is the fact that they are regularly associated with a transformative journey from life into death. They are often described escorting the dead to the underworld. This particular description, however, isn't just limited to mythology, though. Crows and ravens, they're all quite literally companions of death. Let me read you this little excerpt from my <laughs> very favorite book. It's called The Three Crows, a traditional ballad. There were three crows sat on a tree. They're as black as crows can be. One of them said to the mate, what shall we do for grub to eat? Which doesn't actually rhyme, but <laughs> I'm going to let it go. There's an old dead horse in yonder's lane, whose body has been lately slain. We'll fly upon his old breast bone and pluck his eyes out one by one. Again, doesn't rhyme, but you get the point. You get the point. <laughs> Gruesome as that may be, the Corvid family is known for feeding upon carrion, carcasses, roadkill, basically any dead flesh they happen to come by. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> this imagery of a companion unto death is what I believe Wilhelm Müller was alluding to in his poem, Die Krähe. See? I told you we'd We're get back, back to our song. You said the name of it. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Let's hear what the traveler has to say in the poem itself. Krea, Die Krea, the crow. A crow has flown with me out of the town, and to this day has flown around and around my head. Crow, you peculiar animal, will you not leave me? Do you intend to take my body to the grave as prey? Now I do not have much further to go with my walking staff. Crow, let me see you be endlessly true unto the grave. Little creepy? Bit dark? Little somber. <laughs> In the poem, our wandering exile looks up above and sees that this crow has followed him from the city further and further into his isolation. Now, remember, our boy is now wishing for death. He perceives that his path is hopefully leading there sooner rather than later. Hmm. He hopes the crow will not have long to wait to serve his purpose as escort from life into death. Oh, I thought his purpose of, like, supping upon his flesh. Well, he, yeah, kind exactly. Of, yeah. That's the escort. Right. It's like, okay, you're alive. Now you're dead. Gonna eat ya. Now I shall sup. I don't know mm. why I had that accent, but. <laughs> <laughs> Schubert. Schubert was brilliant in his care of this setting. The introduction begins with both hands set in the treble clef so that, in effect, the very first thing we are aware of is our attention being drawn upward to the crow in the sky. Cook. <laughs> it would be interesting if he wrote a little note for the pianist to kaka. Or, um, or the vocalist. Either. I think it'd be great if the pianist did it. Honestly. How about both? I'd have that under a lock. When the voice comes in, we can hear the crow flapping about overhead. Yeah. You can see the wings oscillating. All of those like two notes in the right hand yeah, every time. Yeah. It's it's like the wings flapping. Now this melody just gets me. It feels to me like a lullaby, which is something that I don't I don't understand why more people don't talk about 
this lullaby-esque quality to it. I almost feel like Hushabye Mountain could come on right after yeah. it, right? It has a music box-like quality as well. To me, it's almost as if the Wanderer wishes to sing himself to eternal sleep. Hmm. I feel like there's a there's a word for that. Montric? No, no. Uh, erase, delete. <laughs> <laughs> Undo, control Z, command Z. There's a word you're thinking of? Oh, do you mean like... Like something that's like sleep causing, like soporific? <laughs> yeah, like a little bit like like word? a little bit of a mesmerizing, a little bit of a... Mm, hypnotic? Um, thank you. Hypnotic. Close, closer. Okay. That's like 90% hmm. closer to the word. I wonder what the but, word but is. But you're right, you're right. Like a very music box, like very like something that is related to kind of like enchanting the mind into drifting off, mm. you know? Yeah, it is almost like a spell Yeah. in some ways, for sure. Occasionally, the crow stops to hover very close by, as if he is eager to escort this traveler on his final journey. I kind of like envision these like little figure eights swooping in, swooping in, like oh, just totally. like all around him. That bird is just on him, yeah. you know? He's going to swoop in the second he sees the opportunity for. He's waiting for the transition. Yeah, I think so. There is an element of true tragedy in that this corvid creature seems to be the traveler's only friend, his only loyal companion. But even then, the crow just wants to use him. I don't think the crow actually feels any friendship or affinity for him, right? The crow is just, he's just waiting for his body, his, his corpse. I don't feel like the wanderer is calling for us to feel sorry for him, though, which is really interesting in this song. It's my understanding that he feels that if this crow is feeding upon him, it means that it's all over, especially after what we just heard in the last song. If the crow is having this meal, then the wanderer's been set free. Fiend, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's over. Yeah. yeah, end scene, right? End, end play, end everything. You know what I mean. All those things. All, all, all the ending things. Uh, the last phrase I want to talk about is the one where he says, Crow, let me see you be endlessly true unto the grave. Susan Ewens points out that this is taken from wedding vows. But remember, his girl couldn't vow this, so he's seeking that type of devoted companionship elsewhere. This line is sung twice. The first time the voice sings this phrase, we hear absolute polar ends of the vocal range. You'll hear the growling down below, and it's so visceral, as if he's seeing in his mind's eye the crow pick and pull at his corpse. And then you'll hear an upward sweep, and this upward sweep might be his soul as it leaves the body behind. I love that phrase so much. These words are repeated to different effect, but I will save that for our full lesson. Are you ready? Ready to hit it. Here to sing Die Crea for us is once again Dr. Tyler Reese. Krähe, Wunder. 
my microphone <laughs> nice right. it's so easy to visualize and internalize and again that's the theme with all of this start to finish is that it just it clicks schubert just knew what he was doing that is truly one of my very favorite songs in the cycle mm. and it's actually one of the ones that gets programmed fairly regularly outside of the cycle hmm. um <coughs> There's something magical, just like you said. You were you were trying to find the word. I don't know if it was hypnotic, mesmerizing. We'll probably think of the word later, like <laughs> a couple days from now. <laughs> yep. Shout it out loud. It's definitely one of the songs where when I'm listening to it, I immediately click repeat, immediately want to hear it again. Or if I'm playing it on the piano, I just have to go right back to the beginning and start it all over again. Hmm. It's enthralling enchanting addicting i'm addicted to it i'm addicted to decrea and i don't think it's just because of the, <laughs> the content well, either i mean probably has a small piece look the but content it is amazing, helps yeah. it is about crows and i think that that's awesome but that's not the only reason it's just it's a good song we do have a lot of crow books. What's the what's the grief of this grief oh, is yeah. the thing grief with feathers? Grief is the thing with feathers. Yeah, the one about the zombies. Zombies. The, the apocalypse oh, one. you're right. The, yeah. The crow is narrating Oof. it all. I can't remember we what that book crow is books. called. I also have crow tarot. I have. <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're, we're airing out all the laundry, folks. <laughs> Which is why we had so many amazing facts about crows and ravens. True. Oh, Graben. <laughs> is that right, Graben? No, that's graves. Oh, ah, I I, what's the crea? Crea is crow. Oh. I think you were thinking. Right, I, was, I was thinking his final. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that vocal performance of mine. Uh, I did. Well, do you have any last thoughts or uh, should we wrap this thing up? No, I loved it. It was great. Cool. Be sick. Thanks for being here today. Pleasure. As always. <laughs> And listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you just can't get enough Vinturaisa in your life, then you might want to try singing Der Greise <laughs> This is Grise. Grise Kopf. <laughs> Der Greise Kopf or Die Krea with me. You can find me on YouTube as Mandy Madrid Sikich. Click on the Vinturaisa playlist and start singing. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's honestly the best way you can support the podcast. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! Nerds! Nun es wird nicht weit mehr gehen an dem Wanderstabe. Krähe, lass mich endlich sehen,
Where does this dog find these things? I don't know. Where did you find that stick? For? He doesn't have his cone on. He doesn't have his cone on, but he's so he's stoked. Are we okay with that? Yeah, I'll keep an eye on him, I think. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the situation. Why are you licking the back of my knee? <laughs> Why are you licking the back of my knee? Can you please stop, puppy? You're cute, but I really don't want to be licked in the back of the knee. Okay, there you go. Thank you. If you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.